Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. How you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Uh... The start of uh, week two of no going to work for both of us. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, did have a phone call or two this afternoon that I... I was able to get some information and then relay some of that information, as is my my job. But uh, <laughs> well, congratulations you know, on doing your on doing yeah, your job. Yeah, so I was I was able to do my job. I felt more useful than I have over the last week or so. That's good. That that's very good. Uh, certainly, my team, uh, you know, in the the realm of what is essential and what isn't essential, a group of historians. Uh, who generally work on their own projects. We, we can work remotely. A couple of people on the team that I work with already do that on a daily basis. They don't come into the office. Uh, and uh, so we have a, a Google chat going that, that's sort of firing off all day. A lot of communication back and forth. We had a meeting last week where uh, one person couldn't figure out the or didn't want to, or I don't know what was going on, the, the video. We were going to do a Google Hangout mm-hmm. for it, uh, but she couldn't. For whatever reason, so we had the phone call going, but we also did Google Hangout, and everyone was on mute on Hangout, and we were on the phone conferencing system because uh, we felt that it'd still be good to see everybody. So uh, we have another. We're going to keep doing stuff like that. So uh, hope everyone out there is you know making the most of this situation as best you can, and you know we're here, Scott. We're we're after this episode. Unless like other things happen, I think we're done on this show talking about it. One, we're not experts on it, and two, I think we can provide a bit of a distraction uh, from what is going on in the world. Yes, I think uh, that that's a good idea because you know, eh, well, it's not that interesting to hear about us sitting at home. It's it's not. You're absolutely right. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about the Canadian Olympic Committee's decision not to send athletes to the Olympic Games in Tokyo this summer if they take place, and what, if any, ramifications that could have on Beijing 2022. So yesterday, as we this is Monday night, as we're recording. And yesterday, Sunday night, the Canadian Olympic Committee, Scott, announced that they are not going to send athletes to the 2020 Olympic Games should they take place as scheduled in Tokyo. First of all, what was your initial reaction to that announcement? Uh, I thought that Canada was uh, doing a good job at being a leader in this sort of decision. Uh, It's pretty clear to me that People shouldn't be thinking about, you know, f- focusing on their training or focusing on uh, winning a gold medal instead of focusing on keeping everybody safe. And I thought this was sort of inevitable, but I was a little surprised that it came first from the Canadian uh, Olympic Committee as opposed to 
the IOC itself. Yeah, I I agree. And I tweeted from from the Game of Stones account that I I was surprised that Canada was the first. I was also surprised that a national Olympic committee went against the IOC. Yeah, that that does not. No, it's pretty unprecedented for sure. Yeah. So uh, today or or overnight, so Monday, uh, overnight Sunday in in Canada and North America, uh, Monday in Australia, the Australian Olympic Committee also withdrew. So two countries are out. I also tweeted though, Scott, that this doesn't quite apply to Australia, but for Canada, if this was a Winter Games, Canada withdrawing has a much bigger impact on the IOC mm-hmm. than does. Uh, Canada withdrawing from a summer games. So that that's another reason I was surprised that Canada was the first. I would have thought that for a summer games, you know, you take a, a country that, I mean, the United States in the summer games, that that's the key. That is the linchpin. If the United States is out, this is not going to mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. I, I saw also that Russia said, oh, we support it. But I thought Russia was uh, banned. Yeah, Russia is banned. So, so like... <laughs> I see, uh, oh, wow, good. They're in complete support of the plan of, of uh, maintaining the course. Olympics. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Oh, they're they're in support of having the Olympics. Right, but who cares? Right. I guess they just want to mess, mess with everybody. I don't know. Who knows what's going on yeah. with Russia? Uh, so the, the, the offshoot of the – so then today Dick Pound, the Canadian or one of the Canadian representatives on the IOC, long time – head of the world's anti-doping association he's been involved with the olympic movement pretty much his whole career he had an interview first with usa today where he basically said that the olympics were going to be postponed to 2021 uh, has since been interviewed by a variety of other outlets the international olympic committee has said no that's his interpretation, and we are still going to take our time to make a decision. I have no idea what to make of all this, but I will say that, you know, in my time paying attention to Olympic sport, Dick Pound doesn't get a lot of stuff wrong. So I'm going to roll with Dick Pound on this one. Yeah, and uh, I mean, does anybody think that it's a great idea to bring athletes from literally every country in the world to one spot for two weeks i well except for russia (laughs) well i think they can still compete but they can't compete under the the, the athletes can still go yes so yeah i mean nobody thinks that's a good idea right now and i i mean like you're right dick pound's not wrong about a lot of stuff so uh i foresee this coming but uh so you know let's say it does happen that the olympics are canceled or postponed uh sean you did some research today into how this works financially for uh the athletes and the olympics as a whole do you have any uh thoughts about about that yeah so i have a, I have a lot of thoughts about this because when i was when, when this announcement was made and i thought about it for a while and it occurred to me today that if the Olympic Games are postponed to 2021 and they run them in July, August 2021, 
in Tokyo. What is the ramifications of that as it relates to 2022 in Beijing and any subsequent games after that? You know, we saw that there's a precedent for shifting. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in 92, the or, well, this isn't when it made in 92, but to go opposite years for winter, summer. Yeah. So there was the 92 and then those 94 games in Lillehammer. So there's this precedent to shift around if you need to, to do that. So is it possible that we go into odd number years for Olympic games? That seems like a bit of a stretch to me. But there's also the reality that these things are expensive, not only for the host cities who tend to get hosed in, in the deal, but for the Olympic committees themselves. So I, I was curious, could Canada and could the COC conceivably have consecutive Olympic years? And simultaneously, is it possible that the lack of an Olympic this year or an Olympic Games this year, could it potentially hurt athletes, not only those summer athletes for 2021, financially, but potentially roll into 2022 and Beijing. So, so, so yeah, there, like you said, there's precedent and that you've done some work on if they did it in consecutive years, I'm interested if, what if they offset everything by two years? Uh, what if they go back to having winter and summer together? But, uh, those are questions that we can, uh, think about while we listen to you, uh, you talk about uh, <laughs> about what you're talking about. So, yeah, so the logistics, of course, are, are very challenging, more so for the summer games than for the winter games, right? Summer, the summer games are awarded through the end of the decade, right? 2024 in Paris, 2028 in Los Angeles. doesn't seem like anybody wants 2026, uh, the winter games, but... You know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. So there's a little more flexibility around the winter than the summer. And, of course, the summer games bring in a lot more money and a lot more people uh, because there's more events. Mm-hmm. So for Canada and the way Canada's structure works, and I only looked at Canada. I didn't look at any other, <laughs> any other country, so my apologies uh, for other countries. But in Canada, the Canadian Olympic Committee is funded primarily through Sport Canada, which gets its money through the Department of Heritage. So the vast majority of the funding that is filtered through athletes does come from the federal government. Mm -hmm. So you have programs like Own the Podium, which provides money to individuals for winning medals, right? If you win a gold medal, you get more than a silver, and a silver is more than a bronze. And they're also identifying people who they think have a chance at winning gold medals. And this is done through a variety of metrics, including world championship performance. Mm -hmm. So if you get a certain ranking or you have a certain performance at a world championship, you get an amount of money for that. So winning world championships has value, monetary value beyond what you would get for winning it from the, the associate from the international association. But the majority of this money is coming from the Department of Heritage and then filtered through these organizations. So it is very unlikely that the government would claw back any of this money in the 2020 budget, which in Canada now has been delayed because of Mm -hmm. this, 
or the 2021 budget, which would fund athletes through the 2022 Olympic Games. So in that respect, it is very, uh, very unlikely that anything would change. But what's interesting to me, at least in, in reading all this, is the corporate sponsorships. So while the majority of the money does come from the federal government, Canadian Olympic Committee has a variety of, of corporate mm-hmm. partners that they work with. And I think the most notable of these is Petro Canada and Suncor. Mm-hmm. So their contract runs through the end of 2024. But as we've seen with other sports, it really depends on how these contracts are right. written. Because if there is a provision in the contract that says that Suncor and PetroCanada does not have to pay the Olympic Committee if there's no Olympic Games, which if I was a lawyer for PetroCanada, it seems like a reasonable thing to put in a contract, then that could really be damaging to the COC. Not the athletes themselves, potentially, but for the organization as a whole in running and and all the administrative things that go along with mm-hmm. that. So, you know, PetroCanada, I think, is the biggest partner, but you have a variety of partners across the country. And that, I think, Scott, is where the rubber could hit the road with this. If there's no games this year, how do those contracts, how are those contracts affected? And are these companies going to be okay with maintaining the relationship through a twenty potential 2021 Olympic Games and then going right into... Because the 2022 game, Scott, would be six months mm-hmm. later if this gets delayed, postponed to 2021. Would they want to either defer some of their, their money that goes to the summer athletes and put them into winter athletes or vice versa? Would they, because they're going to be so close together, want to put more into the summer games versus the winter games? I mean, neither of them are great in terms of advertising for Canada, just time zone wise, mm-hmm. both being in, Asia, in yeah. Asia. So I don't know if, if that really factors into it. I mean, if certainly if one of them was in North America and one was in Asia and the, these organizations had a choice, they're putting way more advertising into the North American, more North American one just because of the time zones. So all of this, I think from a, a macro level of the Olympic movement and the way this thing gets funded there's a lot of unanswered questions and I think one of the reasons why the IOC is you could argue dragging their feet on this it's not because they don't know that they should postpone the Olympic Games it's that each country has relationships like Mm -hmm. this where athletes are funded by governments there are corporate partners at, at these national levels certainly the IOC has their partners you have television partners in every country around the world that air the Olympics and have specific requirements from their advertisers. The logistics of this are so huge. I think that's why there hasn't been an announcement yet. And for the COC now, they are going to have to figure out logistically, how do you put together two Olympic delegations that will go off to Asia and, and, uh, Paralympic delegations that will go within six months of each other. The logistics of this are huge and incredibly expensive. Yeah, pretty expensive. Uh, one of the things you mentioned was the sponsor Petro Canada and Suncor. 
Yep. Uh, I don't know if you've been uh, walking by a gas station anytime lately, Sean, but uh, yeah. today I noticed that gas was 67 cents, which I haven't seen since I was a kid. Uh, whether Petro-Canada and Suncor are even going to have money to be able to fulfill these contracts of sponsorship is another question, yeah. right? So, so yeah, this really throws everything into flux. Um, another thing about timing, right? A lot of people are saying, oh, well, you could just postpone until the fall, maybe. That would help. But then uh, for television partners, you run up against other things. We saw the Rugby World Cup was in Japan this past September and October, and there was at least two games canceled due to typhoons. Uh, they just yeah. went in the books as draws, which got Canada its only non-loss of the uh, of the tournament. But it, so there's so many things that are all working together and seem to be working against hosting uh, this tournament until at least 2021. And then all of the mm -hmm. things you spoke about come into play. Do you know, Sean, if... So for... If the contract is through 2024, the end of the Olympics in 2024, athletes yeah. right now are getting money based on the their ability to get a medal through on the podium in 2020. Yep. And 2022 for the winter Right. Athletes. And so extending that money to 2021, does that put in jeopardy what you think, like like the 2024 money? It could, right? It, like it, it, it certainly could uh, open up that door of, of, yeah, what happens in 2024. Yeah, three, three Olympics in four years is a lot. Uh, to to pay for there there's a story on the CBC today Donna Spencer wrote uh, talking about uh, the the outreach now that the COC is doing uh, Thomas Hall who was a, a canoeist at the Olympics who won a gold or won a bronze medal in 2008 he heads the program game plan which offers financial training to Olympic athletes. And you know, based on what's in the story here, it says that most of the, their training, most of their services go to athletes once they retire from their sport. But then now they're rolling it out and, and trying to consult with athletes who are in the midst of their careers. Because one of the realities is that if you're an own-the-podium athlete, right, the funding you get, if you're a carded Olympic athlete, the funding you get is not enough to sustain yourself. Mm -hmm. You rely on winning money out on the whatever circuit you're yep. on, right? Like if you're a skier, yep. right? Uh, there, there's an interview here with one of the beach volleyball players. It, winning or, or, or the results in those events earn money for you as well, as do corporate sponsorships. Mm -hmm. But in, in this case, dollars go away. So... In addition to the logistics on the macro level of, yeah, does Petro-Canada and, and Suncor, what's their appetite to continue paying for this? Maybe they're locked in until 2024, but what happens after 2024? But at a micro level, you have these athletes now who, you know, training to be a high-level Olympic athlete is a full-time job in, mm -hmm. in most sports. <laughs> Uh, but 
now they are in a position where you know their funding is going away some some of them have part-time jobs off-season jobs that are going away as as everyone is being told to stay inside is they don't have jobs generally that could telecommute so mm -hmm. at a micro level for the athletes there's this immediate harm while also you know asking these larger questions of what happens to the the large corporate sponsors and you also have the other element of if we go into a recession uh, you know a global recession it's not as much of a factor for the cbc although it is a factor for the cbc but certainly other television partners would have to wonder too what kind of now a lot of these contracts are written in advance too but you know things things can change but how much is advertising revenue during the game is going to go down like can i sell these ad spots for the same rates that i was able to before and these sorts of questions then if you're not making money on the olympics or you're not getting the same revenues from the olympics as you were then future contracts with the ioc go down like there's so many ripple yep. effects to this well we could even see sports removed from the olympics right mm -hmm. Uh, there have been the, that precedence been there before, you know, baseball was yep. removed uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and I'm looking at this article on CBC uh, by Jim Morris today about what it takes to cancel the Olympics. And uh, one of the pieces of information that's in here is that the IOC uh, of their income in a four year cycle, it says 73% comes from broadcast rights around the right. world so if there is no olympic games to broadcast yeah. then then holy cow you don't you don't have a big chunk of your money that's set aside to host these games and then if you're trying to host two of them close together you don't have that nest egg from one of them before you know yeah. uh it's it's sort of like uh, uh oh yeah. because you still have to sustain you know paying your staff and, and all that sort of stuff so uh the big the big thing i see that's gonna save the olympics is gotta just it's gonna be government money yeah that there's no no corporation is gonna stand up i mean i don't think maybe i'm cynical uh is gonna stand up and say we'll pay for uh, any losses from this Olympics? No, and, and I, I think it's it's important to remember, one, I, can I just say this too about the International Olympic Committee? <clears throat> this couldn't be happening to nicer people, right? Like, they're horrible human <laughs> beings, with maybe the exception of Dick Pound, but like if you read any of the reporting about the things they put in their contracts with host cities, the things that yeah. these people require like it's in the contract that they're required for themselves are insane and completely ridiculous and absolutely over the top. And they have zero regard as an organization for the host cities. Once they leave, they could not right. care less. And the international Olympic committee does provide money, some money to host games, but any cost overruns is left with the city. Uh, or, mm -hmm. or in most cases, the the, the federal organ, the federal governments end up having to pay for it. But you know, 
I'm not going to cry for the International Olympic Committee. Like the, the International Olympic Committee could just go away and die for all I care. Where it it matters is at the level of the athletes and at the national organizations because mm-hmm. they're the ones who really put on the games. They're the ones who give us those great moments. And if we're in a position now where athletes can't, you know, feed their kids, that's super upsetting. But then also fiscally, at what point does it become or does it potentially become irresponsible for a government in the midst of a crisis to continue to put money towards sport funding? Yeah, that's a really fair point. Uh, I think you did an episode of the History Slam, Sean, where you talked about uh, national identity through... Uh, sports yeah, you, you were right? on the show i hope like, <laughs> time, like you say like you barely like oh maybe you did you were on the show you were the guest <laughs> oh cool <laughs> i'm plugging my own uh, appearance but uh, in that we talked a lot about how how important sport is to a national identity if one even feels mm-hmm. it and in that sense, that's sort of how it's justified right now, right? Is putting money towards sport to promote the, the nationalism of being Canadian by seeing Canadians win medals and stuff. And, you know, the CBC gives us all the stories, magazine style stories of all the, the athletes and that stuff. But in a world where, like you say, some people don't have enough money to feed their kids, then is it worth it putting it towards sport? I, I don't know what the answer is. It's above my pay right. grade. And, and, you know, we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves, certainly, but it, it, these are questions that come up. And, and if I'm an Olympic athlete, particularly a winter Olympic athlete, I, I think there, there's no question that the IOC is going to move mountains to get, uh, oh my goodness. What was that? <laughs> What'd you do? Something, something, something fell. Oh, oh you okay? Goodness. Yeah, I'm fine. I, I, and I'm not sure what it was that happened behind me. Oh, my goodness. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, but, you know, the IOC is going to move mountains. They, they, they make money. They make more money off the Summer Olympics than the Winter Olympics. There's no question about that. So mm-hmm. they're going to do everything they can to, to get the Summer Games in. The, the Winter Games, I think, is where there's vulnerability, right? You know, Corporate sponsors, if we get back to corporate sponsors, like Coke, right? Major Olympic sponsor. And if you look at Coke's business model and where they're growing, they're trying to grow right now in places like Africa. And the Winter Olympics don't really help them in regions like Africa. So those sorts of things, you know, lead to just an overall push towards the summer or preference towards the summer Olympics than the winter Olympics. And and I will say this too, for the COC in my research today, one of the things I found is that there now the, the these are the, the most recent I could find, which kind of bothers me. So that is the most recent that I could find. But uh, just as an example in, in 2009, they, or from 2009 to 2010. Now, obviously, the Olympics in 2010 were in Vancouver. That's going to draw a little more revenue for you. But their revenues 
went up by $12 million in uh, that one year. So from 15 million, this is park, partner in marketing revenue. This is just the COC. So mm -hmm. from $15 million in 2009 up to $27 million in 2010. Like this is how significant these Olympic years are. Yeah. And, and if you think about the athletes that we only hear about at Olympics, yeah. right? We're, we're pretty fortunate in that we follow curling and uh, those, those athletes are sort of on display on TV in Canada pretty regularly. But uh, athletes like downhill skiers, uh, biathletes, you know, there, there's people we, ne we never get to see compete on TV, not to mention the Paralympics, yeah. where it's, it's their only chance uh, in a lot of cases to get out and showcase their, their talents. So yeah. There was an interview today with Rosie McLennan, and she's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. And I was like, oh, yeah, Rosie McLennan, <laughs> right? Because we see right. her once every four years for, for any – unless you're a big trampoline fan, which I, I'm sure there are trampoline fans. But, you know, she's a name that I know and, you know, somebody who I've watched at the Olympics. But she's she's not an athlete who's – she's not on Sports Center. She's not making it into the sports – section of, of newspapers she's not all over the cbc or anything like that so yeah those those are the athletes that are really going to get hurt by this and like i say if the entirety of the board of the ioc lose their job i'm okay with that they're they're going to be fine financially mm -hmm. based on mm -hmm. essentially the bribes they take uh, to award these things but the athletes i shouldn't say bribes the the incentives Kickbacks. Yeah, like they're they're heavily incentivized to award to certain countries. Um, they, they, I, I, I don't care about them. I, I, I the athletes though, uh, and the people who organize it at a national level, a provincial level, certainly a local level. Those are the people who are going to potentially get hurt by this, and that's where the concern comes from. And and the logistics of having the two together is is going to be tough and, and i think you know in the overall scheme of things for as bad as it is for summer olympic athletes you know it's it's march it was supposed to start in july the ioc of course still hasn't made that announcement but to train and to get yourself into that peak point for july you're well into that process right now at the end of march so you know, re resetting it a year is is going to be a, a very difficult uh, very difficult task for those athletes so again i i feel for them but when you look at summer versus winter i think that the people who are going to lose in this more so uh, are going to be the winter athletes yeah yeah i i could see that uh, definitely happening do you do you sean think then based on all of the work you've done do you think it's likely should the games be postponed till 2021 to, to me it's looking very likely that will yeah. happen uh it, does your accounting sort of describe that perhaps other games will be pushed back i i would be i would be really surprised if that happens just because 
Paris and L.A. are awarded and the logistics of those of, of doing these things in those cities, it's going to be so, so hard. And, and, you know, the television partners plan out their schedules well in advance. You know, NBC sets mm-hmm. their whole summers around the Olympics. So yeah. I would be... I would be surprised if they get off of the even year cycle. Um, I could see a scenario in which winter games maybe get shuffled as well. I, I would be stunned if they do that. But uh, again, I think given where the money comes from and where the majority of the uh, Olympic activity and where the Olympic movement is, I think if anything is going to be adjusted for the worse, it's going to come on the winter side of things. Yeah, that's uh, that's my feeling as well. I could see a scenario where we go back for uh, one year to the two games in one in one uh, calendar year in 2022. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, I think you're right, though, that they're going to push to have this in 2021. Uh, you know, the summer is more important, like you say, financially. So, and just even like Tokyo as a city, they've built all the athletes' village. Like the amount of right. money that it would cost developers to leave that sitting for a year, like just a year, is crazy. To do it for two yeah. years, like people are going to people are going to rebel. <laughs> Not a lot of people, the people who stand to make money off of that, but right, right. you know, right. There, there's those factors are in play. Like, you know, if you remember back in 2014 when the games were in Sochi, and there was, I think, rightly a lot of outcry about the Russian government's stance uh, towards the LGBTQ plus community, and people were saying, mm-hmm. "Well, just do it in Vancouver. You have the facilities." And Vancouver was like, "No, we don't." You know, the the <laughs> right. athletes' village had been dismantled and sold off the olympic oval had been changed like the oval yeah. still there but the building had been changed the curling club became the curling club it was no longer a spectator venue so right. you know a lot of the infrastructure that's put in place is temporary for these events and so tokyo having these temporary things have to sit for a year it, it's it's a huge logis- logistical challenge yeah, and I think when you talk about cities like Paris and L.A., those cities are in a much better position to be flexible. Yes, they are. With their, They're better equipped. Uh, their sort of hosting right, because a lot of the venues are already in place. Uh, there's transportation infrastructure in those places is there. Whether it's great or not is up for <laughs> yeah, debate. I think the people in L.A. But, might question that. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Uh, they're they're you know making progress, but uh, uh, so on that side, I, I see it as more flexible, and that's part of the reason they were awarded the games in the first yeah. place was not, nobody else wanted to do it. So yeah, I think uh, lots of questions are still gonna come up in the next few days. Um, we obviously are not experts and we don't have great answers for, for lots of stuff, but we felt this was something we wanted to talk about. How did you think Sean 
that the announcement will be was made uh, from a, a standpoint of publicity or or whatever. I think that it was nicely coordinated. They had sort of a, a whole rollout mm-hmm. planned. So obviously they didn't just think wake up yesterday and go. I guess we probably shouldn't shouldn't do this. No, yeah, it was clearly well coordinated, and the media they they had reached out to everybody in the Canadian media that they needed to. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was it, it was one hundred percent a united front, and it was clear that while it was the COC making this announcement, it was clear that every uh, go- governing body for each individual sport had been consulted, had been talked to. This, yeah, as you say, this this wasn't a an overnight decision. This was a, at least a few days in the making to get that universal approval, uh, and also having the the top line athletes, the athletes that people know, having them ready and available yeah. to speak, and also having them briefed on this the the talking notes from the organization. Because yeah. if you watch some of these interviews. There is remarkable consistency, not just on the messaging from the athletes, but on the way in which they are presenting that message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I sorry, I just saw an article about Carl Lewis wants the games to be postponed till 2022. Okay. So 2022. So, yeah. All right. So uh, one of the U.S.'s all-time greatest Olympic athletes there adds his voice to the conversation. Yeah, just uh, don't look at his uh, whether or not he uh, was a clean Olympic athlete. Uh, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's contested. Yeah, Great 30 for 30 on that. I think it was a 30 for 30 on Carl Lewis. That sounds yeah. right. So, uh, so yeah, I, I want to just also quickly correct myself. Uh, 2026 has been awarded, Scott, to uh, yes. Milan and Cortina in Italy. Yeah, they're not that close. Yeah, but don't they? Th- this happens somewhat regularly, right? Where the mountain place isn't that close to where the basically the indoor events are going to take place. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's right, cause true. Because how long is it to get from Vancouver, from, say, BC Place, to the mountains? Hour and a half. Right? That's not that close. It's not that I close. Mean, how long are we looking at from Milan to Cortina? Uh, I didn't pop up my oh, Google Maps, on. but uh, it, it seems far. To Cortina. You're going to yeah, do it? doing it right now. All right. This is, this is a good pod right here. Oh, wow. It's uh, 420 kilometers. Yeah, it's really yeah, it far. Is, uh, that's pretty far. All right. Have you ever been to Milan, Scott? <laughs> I can't say as I've had the privilege, okay. no. So uh, no. we do know that uh, Cortina, that's where they had the 2010 Men's World Curling Championship. Yeah, yeah. And uh, hoping that everybody there in Italy is, you know, taking care of themselves and... Uh, doing all right yes uh, absolutely and, and certainly hope everyone wherever you are uh, around the world uh, you know as we said last time follow the advice of the the local and, and federal uh, officials these are 
like the the professionals. I mean, the politicians will say what the politicians say on all sides. It's not a political mm-hmm. message. It's you know listen to the you know the doctors and and the experts in this. Uh, and if we all work together and follow along, you know we'll get through it, Scott. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to go outside and play sometime <laughs> at soon. At some point, yes. So, uh, yeah. so as, as I said at the start, that'll be the end, uh, unless something breaks in this that is specific to curling. I think that'll be the end of our ongoing, such as it is, corona coverage here on the show. We have a bunch of ideas for uh, some shows that will roll out over the next uh, few weeks as this continues to stretch on. And, and the majority of them, Scott, are going to be, uh, I think I would charitably describe some of these ideas as silly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you sent me this long list this morning and I, I read through them all and I went, I like it. I, li- I like them all. I think they're pretty, pretty good. And yeah, more lighthearted. Yeah, def- definitely more lighthearted because, you know, you can get the, the news of all this stuff from other sources. So uh, we'll, we'll be here. We're going to keep it curling centric. Uh, but uh, as we said last time, more in the summer vein of what we do uh, and a little just in this environment. Yeah, just a little sillier and uh, think outside the box of what to do. So uh, we'll be with you the whole time through this uh not physically and we won't be physically together but uh we'll be with you in spirit and in voice and in voice yeah Yeah. so uh if you want to follow along with all of that uh, please do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcast we are on uh, apple and google and spotify and stitcher and all the things so please do subscribe rate and let other people know about the show. And as always, you can follow along on Instagram and Twitter at Game of Stones Pod. Scott's there at Scott Likes TV, and I am at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And of course, you can email the show with ideas and suggestions, Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So we'll be back with you again with a new episode in the next few days. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice, wash your hands, and don't dump that intern. Make the final...